Wednesday morning. Today is October 26th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. And for those of you who are coming back for more, I'm blessed you're here. Be sure to tell your friends and your loved ones that they too can be a part of the Thy Strong Word family simply by listening over the air on AM850 in the St. Louis area, online at kfuo.org, or through their favorite podcasting app. Just search for Thy Strong Word. Now, be sure to show some love to our sponsor, though. They make all of this happen. That's the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. You can learn more about their translation and publishing work at lhfmissions.org. And while you're online checking out our sponsor, take a moment and send me an email. You can ask a question, make a comment, or just say hello. It helps me to hear from you because you too are a part of the conversation. Email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. Well, our text for this morning is Daniel chapter 9. Daniel discovers a passage in the book of Jeremiah that points to the restoration of the Jews from exile. He intercedes with God on behalf of the people and appeals to the covenant faithfulness of God with a prayer that God would return the people from Israel. Well, with me today to explore Daniel's prayer and post-exile vision, I'm pleased to welcome my guest this morning, the Reverend Roger Mullet, pastor of Faith Evangelical Lutheran Church in Currabusco, Indiana. Pastor Mullet, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thanks, Pastor Boo. Great to be here. Very excited to be with you today. Great, and I'm happy to have you on. I think this is your first time, and I just know that uh, we're going to learn a lot from you and in our discussion today. This is a interesting chapter. You know, ever since chapter 7 in Daniel, things have gotten uh, very eclectic and apocalyptic and esoteric, but it's all about the comfort of God's people and I think that's what we're going to find out today, too. Before we dig in, though, you know, tell us how ministry is at Zion Lutheran in uh, Churubusco. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah, that's right. Churubusco. Um, so I've been at Faith for uh, just a little over four years now. And um, it, COVID came right in the midst of, of my ministry. I was ordained in 2019. Uh, so I didn't have very long before that took over. And uh you know, we, we made it and that's, and that's, you know, by God's grace, we, we got there and we're, we're coming to know each other a little better. That isolation time, especially for a new pastor and the congregation getting used to their new pastor was, it was tricky as it was for everybody. Um, but we're, we're hitting our stride. I think we're starting to, to think bigger picture thoughts and, and look forward to the future and kind of see how, how, what God has blessed us with here can, can continue to be a blessing for many years to come. I can't even imagine, and I thought about, you know, guys like you who are coming into the ministry at that moment in time. Now, I took a call uh, in 2020, so I kind of know a little bit about that, sure, but nothing, sure. nothing like probably what you went through to be able to get to know a new congregation right in the midst of all that going on. Oh, well, I'm just, I'm thankful for you and I'm thankful for the strength that God gave you to endure that because it certainly couldn't have been an easy thing to do. No, and it was, you know, it was up and down. Uh, we kind of look back and chuckle on how 
COVID kind of kind of forced us to make some of those transitions. And in, in the big picture, we can see how that's actually going to turn out to be a blessing for us, I think. And of course, my family has been more than supportive. Uh, my wife and, and our three boys especially have been mm. right there with me the whole way. So, you know, God well, be which, He's which seminary did you come from then, if I can ask? I'm out of Fort Wayne. Uh, so okay. I graduated in, in 18 and started work on, on a PhD um, that I just recently converted to an STM. So I just finished an STM. Excellent. Um, but that was why I had a year delay. Um, but I was then called and ordained in 2019. Well, wonderful. Well, I look forward to uh, having this discussion with you. Before we dig in, though, would you, you know, start us off with some prayer? Of course. Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, as you turned your ears with favor toward your servant Daniel, so likewise turn your ears toward us. Hear our prayers, we pray, for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Open our hearts to receive your Holy Spirit as you reveal to us your will and your love for us according to your most holy word. All this we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. So before I read uh, the first part of our text today, we have quite a lengthy uh, bit for this chapter. Uh, is there anything that you want to lay the foundation with before before we do that? Well, I think what you said kind of in your introduction there is is kind of fitting. I think most of us are familiar with the stories of Daniel. That's really one through six. Uh, chapters one to six. That's the bulk of what we're most familiar with. And you're right. Once we get to chapter seven, it starts to get interesting. Um, stuff doesn't make nearly as much sense. So what we find in chapter nine is nearing the end now of this kind of cycle of visions and explanations that God will give to Daniel. Uh, and especially now in chapter nine, we're going to see uh, this kind of come right in between the visions of chapter eight and the visions that are played out again in 10 to 12 that push us now historically toward what it's going to start to look like after the Israelites return from exile in Babylon. We're going to get that prayer, of course, and that vision right at the end of Daniel 9 that's going to set the stage for what's it look like when Israel is redeemed, not only in their return to Jerusalem and the rebuilding of the temple, but also in the longer term, in the eternal sense, when the Messiah finally comes, when Jesus finally rescues all of his people from their sins. So this section, this chapter 9, is divided into three different sections. The first is about 19 verses long, and that's David's prayer. I'm Pardon me, Daniel's prayer. And I'm going to read that part, and then we'll later read 20 through 23, which is Gabriel brings an answer to Daniel. And then 24 through 27, the rest of the chapter, will be the 70 weeks, and we'll talk about that later. So it's kind of a lengthy reading, but we'll go ahead and get started. Uh, this will be chapter 9 of Daniel from the English Standard Version of the Holy Bible. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent Amid, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, seventy years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer, and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God, and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong 
and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your names to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us, by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as at this day, we have sinned and we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all those who are around us. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Now, that is an intense prayer from Daniel, both recognizing God's righteousness and justice for giving the calamity that's upon them, but acknowledging that it is his and the people's sin for bringing it upon themselves. That is something we see in the Psalms from David. That's something we see throughout the scriptures as the proper way to understand you know, uh, God's punishment against sin in the world. Um, but it's also something that we resist. We like to blame God for the bad things that happen and take no blame for ourselves, or we take the blame for ourselves and we think, well, God must have nothing to do with it. There's two errors people fall into. Well, there's a lot to cover here, so uh, let's let's dig in. What's going on? 
Well, we do get a timestamp, which is helpful uh, if we want to start to think about where in space and time this occurs. Um, so we have the first year of Darius, uh, Darius the Mede, who as best we can tell is the same as Cyrus the Persian. And you kind of see this happen throughout the book of Daniel, um, that he that he switches back and forth between those two names. But you can look, for example, back in chapter 5 and 6, um, those two are kind of equated. Uh, when we look forward to chapter 10, verse 1, it becomes the second year of Cyrus, uh, and it becomes pretty clear that these are the same two guys, and that helps us put a timestamp on this. Uh, so we're looking at 539, 538 BC, which is significant because what that tells us historically is that this big, long prayer comes immediately before the decree to let the Israelites return to Israel. Um, this prayer is answered in time almost immediately. And uh, the other thing I want to I grab onto here before uh, we go into the prayer itself, because you're right, there's a ton in here to unpack and lots of things that, that we kind of stumble over sometimes, I think, um, is in verse 2. I, Daniel, perceived in the books... In the books, which tells us already, obviously not bound books the way that we have them today, but that the word of the Lord to the prophet Jeremiah was actually written down. Wow, oh, yeah. I and how, so. how significant it is that now Daniel, even in exile, whether this is from memory or he's actually got it in front of him, has access to the word of the Lord through the prophet Jeremiah. Um, it's really significant, I think, to kind of help us remember. I think a lot, a lot of times we read the Bible and we figure the Old Testament just kind of came together all at once, right before <laughs> right. Jesus showed up. Um, but it was, it was written down even then that he would have been able to look at the word of the Lord spoken to Jeremiah the prophet. And now, I mean, this prayer is, is kind of an interlude, if you will. When we get finally to the vision of the 70 weeks at the end of this chapter, we're going to find him picking back up on what he found in the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet. And we get that hint there with the 70 years that's going to be related to the 70 weeks at the end of this chapter. Yeah, I think we also take for granted, um, if I can sort of catapult off that, we take for granted that we have such easy access to the scriptures. And because we can pull up the scriptures in any language, uh, any format, any interpretation, any version we want from our phones or computers, you can't even go into a hotel room in America without there being the Bible there. At least I think that's still the case. So we're, we are always within an arm's reach of the scriptures and yet don't take advantage of having that access. And here it is very much from the books of the prophets or from Jeremiah, as you said, Either he has access to the books or he just remembers it. But regardless, there are books, they are written down, and these would have been deeply precious to them and something to, to recall in the midst of problems. And I think because we have such easy access to them, I think we take them for granted. I think that's true. I mean, that's certainly true even for us as pastors, yes. right? I mean, we have, we have so much material. I mean, we have so many reference works and so many great authors and theologians and, and Christian thinkers that have gone before us to teach us these things and to help us understand them for ourselves. And I think you're right. I think we just don't take advantage. And I think part of that is how much access we actually have. We just have kind of fallen into, well, we're always going to have it. But this is true throughout the scriptures mm -hmm. that over and over, they just treasured it and treasured it because it was so rare to actually have access to those things. I kind of liken it to, and I've observed this in my own uh, my own experience. 
whenever you live, say, a few hours away from relatives, it takes a little effort to get there. And so you go and see them because you have to make the time. But if they live right down the road, sometimes you don't see them for long periods of time because you think, oh, I could always just go see them. It doesn't matter. And I think that's the case with the scriptures. We, we have them. It's just so easy to look something up. Sometimes we fail to. But at the same time, we should certainly consider our access to them a blessing. So um, we have here, and he, he mentions here from Jeremiah, we get the first mention of the 70 uh, years, the 70 years. And that's going to come up again, right? Yeah, that's right. So what he's returning to is, according to our chapters and verses, uh, most likely Jeremiah chapter 29, where we get that, uh, where we get those 70 years. It's mentioned one other place, but I think uh, midway through Jeremiah 29 is the clearer, uh, the clearer prediction of that 70 years. And that is going to come up again. Um, and I think this prayer then, I think Daniel's starting to put the pieces together already and recognize if Jeremiah's right, the 70 years is almost over. Yeah, especially at this point. Uh, and it, yeah. Yeah, and I think he's he's kind of looking, you know, remembering when Jeremiah was writing and prophesying and how long it's actually been. Uh, we're getting ready for this to be over. And and in part, then, this prayer is is Daniel recognizing for himself and for the whole people of Israel, uh, deliverance is at hand, uh, almost a, almost an Advent theme here that, you know, it's it's almost time. Oftentimes, the book of Daniel has been misused, and I, we spoke about this at length uh, when we first started the whole book with my first guest on it. And uh, people like to use this uh, – th- these types of numerals or these numbers, which uh, certainly come to pass as prophecy, but they like to take them out of context here in other uh, apocalyptic areas of Daniel to try to predict the end of the world or Christ's return. Um, and that's certainly an improper use of it. But here we have an example of where it kind of comes to pass. And so I can understand why people kind of get confused with that or how to apply these things. Yeah, absolutely. One of the most important things to remember, I think, about biblical prophecy, especially prophecies in the Old Testament, is they often have multiple layers of fulfillment. Um, Obviously, when Jeremiah is speaking of the deliverance of Israel after 70 years, he is talking about or at least we see a fulfillment of that prophecy in the return of the Israelites from captivity. But we can think bigger picture and, you know, God be praised, as you mentioned, that we have the entirety of the scriptures, mm-hmm. Old and New Testaments, in a language that we can all read. Um, and, and so what that gives us access to is, is the much bigger picture in the plan of salvation that helps us see, yes, the Israelites returning from captivity is part of the fulfillment of that prophecy, but also in the much bigger picture where we start to take those images and realize God's also painting for us a picture of the final deliverance on the last day when we're finally led out of, not out of Babylonian captivity, but out of captivity to sin and death. And then this long prayer, uh, as you said, picks up a few different themes that are actually kind of tricky. Um, I think for the sake of not just repeating everything that you've read, um, to pick up on a few topics that are in here, that he really is Daniel the prophet making confession for the whole people of Israel as they're in captivity in Babylon. He is looking around and including himself in this, to be sure, uh, for his sins and for the sins of Israel and looking around and recognizing God is perfectly just in punishing people or mankind for their collective sins. Nowadays, I think it's tempting, 
and certainly the world throws things at us that that are kind of difficult questions for us to grapple with as Christians about whether mankind as a whole can commit a sin together or institutionally or systemically uh, and whether we need to collectively repent and what all those things look like. Um, but, but as you mentioned, kind of introducing the prayer, the most important thing here to remember is, is exactly what you said, that we have to recognize that in our sins, that God would be perfectly just in delivering punishments instead of the blessings that he so often brings to us. He, you know, doesn't have to give us grace and every blessing, if you, you know, technically speaking, right? For the blood of Christ, God be praised, he now does, and that's the promise that we have from him. But what Daniel's looking around and seeing Israel in captivity, the wars going on in the world, the slavery and all these kinds of things that are coming upon God's people. He's looking and saying, this is, this is not, not out of place. This goes with the rebellion that Israel has displayed against God the Father. Uh, in this case, most especially by leading them out of Israel in, into Babylon to be held captive. But it didn't have to happen, right? Because in verse 6, he says, you know, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers. So it's not just that God says, well, I have the right to punish you, and therefore you deserve punishment, so I'm going to. You know, his mercy and grace is seen as uh, being uh, demonstrated by sending warnings. Please turn away from this. This does not have to happen. It's amazing how Daniel recognizes that they didn't listen to the prophets. And, and so far, as we've been going through Daniel, what I've found remarkable about it, because as I've said in other episodes, I never really uh, dug into Daniel like I have for this program. And it's so applicable to today. I mean, not everything's a one-to-one, but it teaches us a lot about, about God and, and obeying his laws and not turning away from him, listening to his prophets. And, and above that, like Daniel, learning to live and navigate in a world that is pagan, that is against God. And, you know, and how does he navigate that? So I, I think that's important too, that, you know, God has the right to punish us. We have to recognize that, but he, he doesn't until the discipline is absolutely necessary. He sends these, these rafts, these, these rescue boats for us, and we keep turning them away. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And that's an important thing for for all of us, frankly, to to kind of keep in mind. I think we get nervous sometimes about that language of God punishing us. So you picked up on, right, the word discipline. And I think sometimes that's a more helpful way for folks to kind of think about it, that, you know, he did send prophet after prophet after prophet. And, and after Daniel are going to come, you know, several more still to deliver God's word to the people. And then finally, of course, John the Baptist and Jesus in the New Testament. But, uh, and, you know, and even all the way through the pattern continues, right? That we continue to turn away from the word of the Lord. We continue to turn away from those warnings. And, and we can so look around then at the things going on in the world today and recognize, you know, as you said, there's not a one-to-one correlation, which I think, at least in my experience, is something that a lot of folks are nervous about. Um, and I don't think I don't think it it lines up that way. But we can look around at these things and recognize this is the result of a fallen world, and particularly a fallen world that continues to turn away from the word of the Lord that He continues in His grace to send to us in many and various ways. And so, when we look around and see all the atrocities that go on, 
I think we as Christians can do what Daniel did, right? We can recognize, look, this is a call to repentance. And we need to encourage not only us as the people of God, but also all of those around us in our world who are not yet members of the people of God to repent with us and to turn back to God and to heed his word, because that really is the way of life and life everlasting. I think another helpful thing to remember as I look out and I see the anxiety amongst some of the people that I serve and other people, if you're online and interacting with folks, is that people are very anxious about how the, the world is sort of shifted against Christians in these last days. But if you talk about it more broadly in terms of the people of God, then you look back at Daniel and you say, well, here we have back in the what, 600s BC and wow, I guess, or 500s at this point. Well, wow, I guess things really haven't gotten worse. You know, the world is wicked. The, the, the na nature of fallen man is to resist and rebel against God. And so while it probably is affecting us as Americans more because we enjoyed a, a small period of favor amongst our society and government, that's going away quickly. And we're just joining what other people of God have experienced throughout the millennia. And I think it's helpful because you remember that, yeah, while it's while it's bad and we don't like it, it's not new. And, and God certainly isn't surprised by any of it. Yeah. And that gives us as Christians, I think, comfort in a few different ways that that we can look to our ancestors in the faith, the believers of the Old Testament and see that they likewise have gone through these things. I mean, they've been through persecution by governments and they've been through war between the nations and they've been through, you know, this living in a place. I think especially when you talk about persecution by the government, you got to look at the book of Daniel um, and, and know that our, you know, our forefathers in the faith endured these same things. These are the things that Christ's church on earth will endure. And that also lets us draw strength from their example, but also to see how they called on God and how God worked deliverance for them so that we have then comfort in the promise that God likewise made to us, that we too have deliverance from these things. Well, speaking of that, the third part of Daniel's prayer is that petition. You know, he asks God, uh, he says, and now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt, right? He recalls that event. We've done wicked. We're sinful. Now, let your anger and your wrath turn away from us. He asks, you know, God to forgive the people. That that intercession, that petition in the third part of his prayer, I, I, I think we pray a lot for ourselves. We pray for others to come to repentance. How often do we as a church recognize and acknowledge that we as the church, pray for the benefit of all people, and, and we should pray publicly and openly that God would forgive our whole society, our whole world, and and return, you know, soften hearts, bring others to faith. I know we do it in the prayer of the church, but you know that seems like it should be something that's a little bit more often on the lips of our leaders. I think you're right. I do, and you, I mean, you're exactly right. It gets one little one little paragraph or a petition in the in the prayer of the church, and that's usually all that's said about it. Um, but I think when, I mean, especially seeing a prayer like this, recognizing, you know, uh, I'm kind of the, the words of Isaiah kind of come to mind that I'm a man of unclean lips in the midst of a people of unclean lips right. that, you know, we as God's people, I mean, we're God's people and God be praised for that. But we're, we're sinners in need of that same repentance. We're in that need of that same forgiveness that the world needs. Uh, and to be able to pray for that more openly, I think acknowledges 
that God alone can work that and also shows publicly, I think, that we, that we really do believe that, that we really do trust in that promise um, that, that God will send his word and continue to use that to work on the hearts of mankind and bring them to repentance. Well, God desires all to be saved, and that's certainly part of uh, our vocation on this side of Christ's return. Well, we are still on this side of the break, too, so we're going to take that. We're going to pause and listen to these messages. Dear listener, don't go anywhere. Just a few moments when we return, Pastor Mullet and I will continue our discussion of Daniel chapter 9. We'll see you on the other side. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. And with me today is the Reverend Roger Mullet, pastor of Faith Evangelical Lutheran Church in Churubusco, Indiana. Now, Pastor, before the break, we were just sort of getting towards the end of the prayer. Um, during the break, you and I were talking about how there's just so much we could go into on this. We could spend uh, hours uh, picking apart every part of this prayer and how it connects to the history of the of God's people and his promises and how it applies to us today. But seeing as how we want to cover this whole chapter, I think we might need to move on. But before we move on, is there anything else that you want to make sure is on the table? I want to grab just the last verse of the prayer, really, verse 19. And if there's one part of the prayer that really brings out the comfort, right? You mentioned starting really in verse 15, this last little bit, we have kind of the more specific pleas, calling upon God to remember who brought his people out of the land of Egypt. You've made a name for yourself, kind of echoing some of the appeals that Moses made back in the day. Um, but here in verse 19, we have this last final kind of rapid fire appeal. Oh Lord, here, forgive, pay attention and act. And why? For your own sake, because your city and your people are called by your name. And there's comfort there and also confidence in that appeal that we, as God's people, do bear his name, that his city bears his name, and that it's for God's own sake that he delivers his people. Um, that, and we have that confidence to come before the throne. You know, I tell, um, I tell my congregation, I would love if you memorized the entire small catechism, but if you're only going to memorize one part, memorize the introduction to the Lord's Prayer that mm -hmm. says, Our Father who art in heaven, what does this mean? With these words, God tenderly invites us to believe that he is our true father and that we are his true children. So that with all boldness and confidence, we may ask him as dear children, ask their dear father, you know, that we bear God's name and we have that confidence to go as Daniel did, bearing God's name back to him, returning his promises to him and calling upon. Him. And that's exactly what he wants us to do as his children, to remember his promises, even as he remembers his promises to us. Wow, what a thing to remember that we bear the name of God. 
And while that certainly acts as law, because everything we do, even in this world, can be used against our Lord, although he doesn't need our help to make him righteous, but it is gospel in that, yeah, we are set apart, holy, and we can, in the name of God, go out and be confident that he will keep his promises, just as just as Daniel relied on that. Oh, yeah, that's definitely something amazing to remember. Well, I'd like to read, uh, just so they can be included in the conversation, uh, Gabriel bringing an answer. This is going to be verses 20 through 23, so a lot shorter than our last reading. Uh, here we go, from the English Standard Version. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Now, the vision will come next in the 70 weeks, but I just want to stop now. If I gave us too much at the beginning to chew on, maybe I'm giving us just a, a little uh, sample and a moose-bouche of what's coming up next. But these few verses, I think, uh, are significant in several ways. Uh, but let's uh, I'd like to hear what you think. Yeah, so again, and I mentioned this briefly before, that he is confessing his sin and the sin of the people Israel. And I think that's an important reminder, not for just for us as pastors, as we pray not only for our people, but for ourselves, but it's also kind of helpful for our people to hear every so often that, you know, when I pray, when I confess my sins, when I'm preaching, all of those things are just as much for me as they are for my people, as it is for Daniel here. And we have that plea again, for the holy hill, which is uh, which we saw referenced in the prayer a few verses before. I think we're talking about Zion here in the big picture, the dwelling place of God. And then comes Gabriel, uh, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, he says, which goes back at least to chapter 8, um, where Gabriel comes uh, midway toward the end, I guess, of chapter 8 to begin interpreting uh, his chapter 8 vision to him. And this, wow, this is so cool. Um, verses 22 and 23, where Gabriel speaks to him, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. I'm going to explain to you the vision. And I think what we'll find with the 70 weeks here in a few more verses is that considering not only that reference from Jeremiah, but also looking back to chapter eight, and we'll get a little bit more context to help fill that out. Um, I have come now to give you insight and understanding, to help you figure out what these visions are about. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, which is to say, when you started praying, God heard you and sent me to come to you. And I, I come to tell it to you because you are greatly loved. I and love in the middle that. Of a, in the middle of a prayer like that, that's what we all need. Oh, isn't that amazing? At the beginning of your, like before you even really got into it, God was already answering. Yeah. And that, I mean... If that doesn't bring comfort, I don't know. I mean, that, that's the kind of stuff that I hear as a pastor who, you know, most certainly does not pray as I ought, right? Mm -hmm. But but to, re like, even before we figure out all the words we're going to say, yeah. even before we know everything that we might pray for, 
God's already listening and beginning to work his answers. And why? Because you are greatly loved. Wow. Yeah. To to mimic you earlier, if you remember nothing from this text. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Remember this because it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. And the Lord knows what we need. And he knows uh, that he we can, can be confident that he'll give us what we need at the proper time. And this is, yeah, I just love that. Yeah, I can't say enough how much I love that. So let's uh, let's go ahead and get the rest of the chapter in then. This will be the 70 weeks as Gabriel explains. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and atone for iniquity to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So that is some pretty impressive apocalyptic predictions. I, uh, you know, we have all of these different numbers and descriptions and time frames. Uh, we have the, the prince who is to come. We have uh, anointed ones. Lots of great stuff to unpack. Yeah, uh, I'm going to try really hard not to take any firm positions on any of this stuff. Very wise. Uh, <laughs> which, uh, you know, in, in some sense, I suppose, is a little disappointing for the listeners. But uh, this is one of those places where we can find lots of parallels with lots of different things that go on, not only in the history of the church up to the time of Jesus and even into the time of the early church, but also looking forward. And we can kind of see how some of this language would apply to the end of time uh, and to, to our own time here and now and the deliverance that we're looking for. Traditionally, there's a there's just a couple different ways that that we've taken this. And by we, I really just mean traditional conservative Christian scholarship, really since since the time of the early church. And the first thing that we should remember is that 70 weeks almost certainly cannot be a literal number um, because 70 weeks is less than two years. And it is it seems unlikely given the end of the, you know, the desolator and all of that, um, that that hasn't happened yet because we're still here. So uh Often when we see this 70 weeks, it's important to remember that the Hebrew word for week is actually the number seven. So this is 70 sevens, uh, 70 groups of seven. And often then we look at these as being years instead. Um, So 70 groups of seven years would take us to 490 years. This is the way that Luther, for example, will take it. This is the way a lot of folks take it. Even then, the numbers aren't perfect. Um, 
And, and it's important to remember whenever we have sevens, uh, seven is one of those numbers that shows up a lot in the scriptures, and it is almost always symbolic. Uh, and, and the number seven signifying completeness, um, fulfillment, um, kind, of, uh, kind of perfection, if you want to look at it in that way. Um, this is seen, for example, in uh, the seven days of creation. Everything was created in six days, but creation wasn't complete until the seventh day, uh, including that day of rest. And we see seven, of course, show up all over the place in the book of Revelation, kind of telling us the complete number of the churches. Um, there are seven Gentile nations at the time of Jesus that surround the land of Israel. And we see sevens show up in the feeding of the 4,000, for example. It kind of gives us that image of completeness. And when we keep that in mind from the get-go, that these are probably symbolic numbers, probably meant to be interpreted in a figurative way, then we can start attaching... Um, maybe not so much specific historical events, but rather um, or rather events in the life of the church. We can, for example, uh, what what's going to happen? Finish the transgression, put an end to sin, atone for iniquity, right? And those are things that, as we start to consider what our timeline looks like here, we can. Uh, we can start to think bigger picture. We're not limiting ourselves to just the next 490 days or the 490 years immediately after this prophecy either. Um, we can start to think much bigger picture and remember that this is kind of symbolic language that God is going to use through Daniel to kind of unpack the rest of the plan of salvation, if you will. Yeah, you know, I I opened up a uh, commentary from a... Uh, how do we say this? Uh, folks who believe that these things should be very taken literal and used to, you know, calculate the ends of time, and the mathematics on here probably rivals that of many arithmetic textbooks, because there's so much. Uh, I, I'll say very gingerly, uh, backflipping done to try to make everything fit. I think it can be an obsessive compulsion to try to make all these numbers mean something. But when we understand that they're to be taken symbolically, or at the very least, they're to be understood in ways that perhaps we've lost some of the context to, we shouldn't worry really so much about trying to fit all these puzzle pieces together. The point of the book is not for us to put all the pieces together, especially as it might apply to the return of Christ, which it's made very clear in scriptures, is something that we cannot know. And you mentioned the 70 weeks or the 77s or the 490. You gave some excellent examples from the Old and New Testament. The one that you didn't give that I thought of is uh, how many times should I forgive my brother? You know, seven times? And Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. And so we don't quit forgiving people at 491 times. Everybody understands that, what that means. And it's the same to apply it here. So why do we kind of, I shouldn't say we, why do some people sort of understand that but then kind of lose their mind when we get into this type of apocalyptic literature, which is supposed to be read symbolically. I think we have a tendency to grab onto these numbers and try to fit them in as literally as possible. Because when we look at some of this, you know, what we call apocalyptic literature, whether it's in Daniel or uh, especially in the book of Revelation, for example, we see lots of what are frankly scary images, things that that we don't quite understand, that look supernatural, things that don't happen the way that they happen here and now, and, and we want to seek to understand them. 
especially because as we look toward the future, which is already uncertain, and then we're given these numbers and these visions and these images and there's dragons and there's angels and all these things, we want to make as much sense as possible because that helps us, I think, not be quite so afraid. If we can understand these images better and know exactly what God's talking about, we, we don't have any reason to be afraid. So I think we seek to understand, and I think it probably really is a pious desire, right? I mean, it's a good, faithful thing to want to do, to understand more and more of what God says to us. But God doesn't explain very much of this. He doesn't explain a lot of the visions, not piece by piece. He doesn't explain hardly any of the book of Revelation. And so for us as Christians, it's important to to zoom out a little bit and, and recognize, as I mentioned before, that God's not showing us a one-to-one correlation with specific events necessarily, right? And to, and to find instead that God is showing us a big picture of the rest of the plan of salvation from this time forward. When we see language like finish the transgression, put an end to sin, atone for iniquity, we can hear those things and think that happens at the cross of Christ. Because it does. And that's something that we can put in time and space. It really happened. It really is part of our history. And that we can know then that that's what we're painting a bigger picture of. The tendency is for us to grab onto these things and try to work them out for ourselves because there is uncertainty in our future. And the encouragement then has to be to look instead for our comfort and our peace, not in how much of the scriptures we can figure out for ourselves, but in what God has actually promised to us and to come back to the sure and certain things that he has given to us in this meantime while we wait until the end of all things. When we read this language about, for example, um, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal the vision and the prophet, to anoint a most holy place, we might start thinking about our inheritance as Christians, not only at the end of our lives, at the kingdom of heaven, but also even further than that, into the new heaven and the new earth when Christ comes to raise us from the dead. And the tendency, again, is to grab onto little interpretations of things that make a little more sense of these weird details when, frankly, God just hasn't given us to understand every single detail of the scriptures. He just doesn't explain every single thing. So rather, the encouragement is in between in between here and when we inherit that everlasting righteousness, to grab onto, to cling to in faith and in hope, those things that God has given to us, that he has promised to us, namely his word and sacraments that forgive our sins and bring us to everlasting life, but prayer, that conversation with our father, uh, where we confess and are forgiven both for ourselves and for others. And, and, and often overlooked one, I think, is what Luther calls the mutual consolation and conversation of the brethren, spending time with fellow believers, both in corporate worship in church and and outside of it as well to build one another up and to have that fellowship that strengthens us uh, until that day when we're all together in the kingdom that has no end. I have no doubt that you're correct, and I think the way that we should look at it, as you describe, is the proper one. I would like to proffer just another reason why I think that people are drawn to that. And while I know pre- and post-tribulation theology and this idea of trying to add all this up to predict is certainly not new, and it predates things like the Discovery Channel, but there seems to be in the age of uh, ancient aliens and ghost hunters, there seems to be a renewal over the past, I don't know, 50 years or so in this, uh, you know, super spiritual, supernatural, as you put it earlier, world. And people get 
I hate to say it, but the, and we, we talked about it a little bit earlier. People get bored with the, with the explanations of scripture, even though and I think it was C.S. Lewis who said something like the scripture is shallow enough for a child to wade in, but deep enough for us to get lost or drowned or something like that. But the, the point is, even though the scriptures are very deep, they, there is so much ink spilled on them. We have had so many people over the, uh, over the centuries uh, explain these things. And I think people get bored of the word of God, if that's possible, because they don't treat it with the same respect. And so they are drawn then to these alternate theories or the alternate ideas because they're new and fresh and Satan just loves that. And one of the other, I was gonna say, one of the other problems too, and you'll appreciate as a previously been a PhD student, is oftentimes to make a name for yourself in, in any kind of field, you have to come up with something new. And to come up with something new in theology or biblical studies generally means you've come up with some sort of new heresy. So it it there's always this draw to you know write the latest book or the latest explanation or produce the latest TV program that will get people involved, and it often means being dishonest with the scriptures. I think that's right. I mean, all those you know the documentaries and the Discovery Channel stuff, the History Channel stuff. That's exciting. It's fun. Right. And it's fun to think about being able to go in some place and go in some cave and figure out this new piece of the scriptures that we never found out before. And that I mean, that sense of discovery is exciting. I think the encouragement has to come back to you can do that just with the Bible. There's always more to find, more connections to make. Right. And and I think you're right. I think our our tendency, our you know, the tendency of our sinful flesh is is to get bored with hearing you know, the same stuff, so to speak, over and over and over. Um, but, you know, I mean, God himself says, I am the same yesterday and today and forever, right? Um, that his that His word endures forever. Um, I guess I guess the encouragement is, you know, to, uh, we mentioned this just briefly earlier, uh, and I think it's a really fun way to read the Bible and you find so much more cool stuff in there is to grab onto some of those images that show up over and over and over and just chase them down and see what you can find. You know, read Genesis 22 and look at the sacrifice or the almost sacrifice of Isaac and see just how many parallels you can find between that and the crucifixion of Jesus. And that opens up the story of Genesis and Abraham's life in a whole new way and how many more instances like that can you find that fit kind of fit into those themes because um, you know we do believe I say this as a joke but it really is true that the same guy wrote the entire Bible right I mean he put stuff in there for us to go and to find and he put those connections in there for us to dig deep and find and that I mean that discovery is exciting as Christians particularly when we call upon the Holy Spirit to open our hearts and minds to go and find that stuff um, and the more and more I talk with folks uh, in my ministry about, well, have you ever thought about making this connection here? That is just enough, you know, the bug bites them, so to speak. And they'll come back the following week and say, I went and read those two passages and I found three more that go with them. And and that's that's the sense of discovery and the excitement that we want about God's word. To go back to the one of the things we talked about at the very beginning of the program, right? To get back into the word of God and to 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 go deeper and to understand more. Um, and yet, as we've been saying about these 70 weeks, 
to not perhaps go further than God gives us to go as a little bit of a caution, I suppose. Well, the rabbit holes are, I mean, they're enjoyable to me and to anybody who likes the puzzles. You know, the people who are tempted to fall into those traps would be very satisfied with, as you said, treating the Bible perhaps in a more respectful way. And I think uh, what might be helpful to our listeners who are interested in this kind of thing is if you have any decent uh, Bible, especially a two-column Bible, there's often a concordance in there or in the margins. And a concordance, for those of you who may not know, is a book that essentially does just that. It connects all of these scriptures together. And now sometimes you, you have to use your own common sense and your own faith raising to understand whether or not those things really apply, but it helps you navigate those things. So, you know, our guest isn't suggesting that, you know, you just know where these things are. There are tools out there and there have been tools for, for decades. And if you are computer savvy, there are so many different online Bible and free to access Bible websites and programs that will, you know, hand, hold your hand through even the Greek and Hebrew we live in an amazing age to be able to discover the Bible in ways that I would say that Daniel could only dream of. Absolutely. There is so much. And, you know, and it's not just me. Everybody's got a pastor. Everybody hopefully has a pastor, right? Um, this is, you know, and, and I can promise you this. If you go to your pastor and you say, I want to read the Bible more deeply and find more connections, He's not going to turn you away. Um, you know, we, at least I do, and I know Pastor Boo does too, just delight in making these connections with our people and helping them discover these things in God's word uh, and helping open the scriptures to them by God's grace that we, you know, participate in such a thing. Um, because the the more we do this, you know, the, the more we find and the more exciting it is to just sit down and open the Bible and see what God has to show us today. Literally the best part of the job, for sure, is to help people make those connections in the Word. Well, we have you know about four or five minutes left in the program, but I want to give those minutes to you. Uh, just you know, use this time to sum up whatever you'd like to sum up, make the points that you want to make sure that people take home, but perhaps also you know connect it to the gospel in a way that our our, our listeners can appreciate and perhaps even share with their neighbor. Sure. I think uh, going back in many ways to kind of the summary that, that, that you gave, Pastor Boo, at the beginning of our time together, that, that we're getting into now this portion of Daniel where things are going to get less and less clear. Uh, we're moving into visions. We're looking both to current events in the time of Daniel and, and looking forward into things that have not happened yet. I would return to uh, Daniel's prayer, perhaps most especially, and and God's action as a result of that prayer, that Daniel comes before God humbly. He confesses his sin and the sins of the people that he's there with, uh, God's people, Israel, as they are held captive in Babylon. And he prays for deliverance. He holds God to his promise, boldly so. He searches the scriptures. He finds in Jeremiah, this is only going to be 70 years. That's how long it will be. And Daniel realizes that soon God is about to make good on his promises. And, you know, for us as Christians to remember that that's true today, too. God is getting ready to make good on his promises. And I don't mean that in a, you know, Jesus is coming again soon. I certainly hope that he is um, the sooner, the better, in my opinion. But um, but God makes good on his promise every time 
we open the scriptures, every time we go to him in prayer, every time we spend time with our fellow believers and build one another up, every time we come to worship and hear his word and receive the body and blood of our Lord for our forgiveness and life and salvation, he continues to fulfill those promises. I think the encouragement has got to be go boldly, go boldly in prayer to your father who loves to hear you because as Gabriel reminds Daniel, you are greatly loved as a child of God. And when we see these visions, like we have at the end of Daniel 9, and we're going to get another one uh, next at the beginning of 10, and then perhaps even some more in 11 and 12, that, you know, it might be confusing and even frightening a little bit when we don't quite understand what's happening, where God is going in our lives, where God's going in the world, what's going to happen next, we can fall back on those same promises. We can come back to the sure and certain things that God has given to us because we can find, even in these visions, we can find little hints of the promises that God has laid out fully before us. Even in this strange vision of the 70 weeks, whatever exactly it is that God means to give to us, he certainly means to point us to the atonement for iniquity, the bringing in of everlasting righteousness. He does mean to point us to the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. He does mean to point us to the kingdom of heaven. He does mean to bring us before him so that we can cling to those promises and have hope and peace, even on this side of heaven, knowing that our Lord always keeps his promises and will finally, even as this prayer was very soon answered, bringing the Israelites home to Jerusalem, we do have that final promise that in the fullness of time, God will send Jesus again. And he will raise us from our graves. He will call us forth by name, and he will welcome us with open arms into the kingdom that has no end. I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Roger Mullet, pastor of Faith Evangelical Lutheran Church in Churubusco, Indiana. Thank you, pastor, so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. That was a lot of fun. Thank you, listeners, too, for tuning in to Thy Strong Word. I've been your host, Pastor Phil Boo. Join us tomorrow as we turn the page in Daniel to now chapter 10. Daniel has a terrifying vision of a man. What could it mean? Well, tune in to find out. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in Thy Strong Word. <laughs>